Good morning again. You have your Bible this morning? Good. Psalm 78 is where you need to go. Psalm 78. And, and as you're turning there, I want to tell you about two things I absolutely love in here this morning. Number one, Jason Branock says, I've worked up a sweat. We have begun. <laughs> I love it. I love it. He worked up a sweat before any of you got here this morning is what you, is what you don't know, right? What you also don't know is that Jason has put in some incredibly long hours uh, over this last week in preparation for next weekend, in preparation for Palm Sunday, and so I hope that you will be here uh, to be a part of that. It will be a great celebration. The other thing that I love is that someone has already signed the board this morning. We haven't even talked about it yet, and somebody has already signed it. That's, that's, that's what I'm talking about right there. I'm in for anything. Whatever you, whatever you have to say, I'm in, right? No. That's good, though. It's good. All right, Psalm 78 is where we're at. Last week, we talked about uh, chapter 4 of Tom Rainer's little book, talking about praying for our pastors, praying for our leaders. There were three main applications that we got to at the end. Number one, I will pray for my pastors. Number two, I will support my pastors. And number three, I will follow my pastors. That last one came with a bit of a caveat and disclaimer. We follow our pastors as they follow Christ, as much as they are following Christ. We recognize that Jesus is the head of the church. He is ultimately the senior pastor of this church. He, he is the head of this body. And so I would invite you, as Paul did, his people, I would invite you to follow me as I'm following Christ. And, and hear me clearly, when I'm not following Christ, don't follow me. When, when I get off track and, and go the wrong way, you keep following Christ and not me. Amen? So that's what we talked about last week. This week, we're going to talk about the fifth chapter of Rainer's little book. Uh, we've been talking about that for quite some time, two more weeks left in that. Uh, we're going to talk about leading our families to be healthy church members today. In, in the book, Rainer spends a lot of time in Ephesians chapter 5 in this chapter. Uh, that's the main text that he goes to. I figured since we spent nine months in Ephesians just recently, since we spent several weeks in chapter 5 in particular, I'm not going to go to chapter 5 of Ephesians to talk to you today. I'm going to go to Psalm uh, chapter 78, an Old Testament, um, an Old Testament outline for the transmission of the gospel, for the transmission of the covenant from one generation to the next talking about the family and the pivotal role that the family plays in the transmission of the gospel from one generation to, to the next. We're going to talk today about leading our families. And there's going to be a lot of lessons for men in this place today. I want to go ahead and give a disclaimer. It's going to be tough sometimes for men to hear these things today. Fellows, we need to step it up. We need to be the leaders in our homes. We need to be leading our, our family to the Lord. We need to be preaching the gospel to them. We need to be leading them to be good members of this church. I also want to say this. I know there are a lot of ladies that are doing that. A lot of women who are, in fact, doing that in their homes because their husbands are not. I don't want you to hear anything that I'm going to say today as if I am upset with you for doing that. Good for you for doing it. If no one else will, you do it. Thank God there are godly mothers and godly wives who are willing to step up when the men won't. But fellas, this is our role. This is our job. And so we've got work to do, and we're going to hear uh, a little bit about that today uh, from the text. So look at it, Psalm chapter 78. We're going to look at verses 1 to 8 today. It says this, Listen, O my people, to my instruction. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. I will open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known, and our fathers have told us. We will not conceal them from their children, but tell to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and his strength and his wondrous works that he has done. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should teach them to their children, that the generation to come might know 
even the children yet to be born, that they may arise and tell them to their children, that they should put their confidence in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments and not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that did not prepare its heart and whose spirit was not faithful to God. Let's pray together. God, we come before you today. Thankful for your church, thankful for this church in particular, that you have brought us here to be a family. You have redeemed us, you've saved us, you've raised us from the dead, you have reconciled us to yourself by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You have brought us together by grace through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ. You've reconciled us to one another, you've made us into one body. And we want to know what it's like to live together as a body. We want to know what it's like to lead our families to be good members of this body. Pray for the men who are in here today. Some of them are leading well. Some of them have a long way to go. God, I pray today that you bring encouragement where it is needed. Pray that you bring rebuke where it is needed. I pray that you'll have your way in our hearts today. God, I'm thankful for women who are in this room today many of whom are leading because no one else will. They've stepped up to the plate, and I'm thankful for them. And I pray that you'll bless them today and that you'll encourage them today. God, I pray for children who are in this room, who are hearing and seeing everything, everything we do in the home, everything we do in the church. God, we want to lead them down the right path. We want to show you to them so that they might know you, so that they might trust you, so that they might obey you and follow you all the days of their life. God, help us. Help us to be families who love you. Help us to be families who love this church. In Christ's name we pray. So if you were to read on in Psalm 78, and it's a long one, there's a lot else going on in Psalm 78, you will learn basically the history of Israel, the history of God's dealing with Israel, the history of redemption, the history of deliverance. You will see all kinds of incredible things that God has done, and I would encourage you to do that sometime this afternoon. What you will see, what you will see is not only the history of redemption of Israel, you will see the pattern of redemption for us today. So we, we would, if we read the rest of Psalm 78, we would look back and we would remember all of these great things that God had done for Israel, but we would also be able to look ahead and see all the great things he has done for us in Christ, right? Because all of those things uh, point us to Christ, and I would encourage you to do that. The big theme that we're going to talk about today is that the key instrument in the transmission of the covenant, the transmission of the truths of God throughout the history of the world has been the family. We see this in the Old Testament. We see this in the New Testament. God has designed the family to be uh, the place where the baton is passed from one generation to the next, where children learn about the Lord, where children are, are uh, given an example of what it looks like to follow the Lord, where children prayerfully, hopefully, will take that baton and run with it themselves and pass it on to their children. That's been the grand design of the scriptures. Now, I say all that, but I also recognize there are exceptions to that rule, right? Just about every rule has exceptions. We know that there are some uh, people in this place today who grew up in a home that was ungodly, uh, where there was no parent, no authority figure in that home to teach them about the Lord, to pass the baton to them. In fact, the baton wasn't even in the house at all. 
but by God's grace, he brought you in contact with some other friend, some outsider who was able to teach you the gospel, who was able to preach to you the gospel, and by God's grace, you have been saved through faith in the Lord Jesus Christ, right? So we know that there's an exception that people can grow up in ungodly homes and still be redeemed by God's grace, right? Thankful for that. But we also know the other exception is there are people who grew up in very godly homes, people who were raised and taught the gospel and, and saw the gospel demonstrated in their lives, and uh, they did not take the baton for themselves. Uh, they, they were, <laughs> it was like the runner was coming to them, and he had the baton out, and they said, no thanks, I, I don't want that baton. And they have lived a life of rebellion and rejection of God in spite of growing up in a home uh, where they were raised in the fear and admonition of the Lord. We know that that is also an exception, and we grieve over those things. I know that there are some of you in here today that, that live in that situation where, where you, uh, man, wanted so much and tried all that you could to point your children to the Lord, and they didn't want anything to do with that. And so uh, I don't want to stand up here today and act like I don't get that. I don't feel that for you. I can't imagine the pain uh, that, that, that that could cause. Uh, but we recognize as much as God has intended the family to be the, the agent in a lot of ways of transmission of the covenant, transmission of the gospel, uh, sometimes there are exceptions to that rule. We want to be sensitive to all those things. We also want to be sensitive today as we talk about the family to recognize there are single folks in here. There are single folks who are part of our family, part of our body here at First Baptist Church, and we want to think about what their role is in all of this. And so when we get to the application time, we'll talk a little bit uh, to single folks, folks who have never been married, folks who are married and divorced, folks who are uh, widows and widowers, and, and uh, we'll talk about their role uh, in this whole process as well as we learn from this text. Okay, so we already talked a little bit about how dads uh, need to be need to be taking the lead in all of this. Uh, there's just no way around that, guys. And uh, and for too long in the church in America, dads have checked out. Dads have stayed home. Dads have said that church is for the women and the children, and they've gone to play golf or they've gone fishing instead of coming to church. Shame on them. And I appreciate all you dads who are here today, uh, especially the ones who led the charge to be here today. You're a dad who got drugged here today. I'm glad you're here today, too. Um, if you're here against your will today, I'm glad you're here. Um, this may be exactly what you need on a day like this. Okay? So when we look at Psalm 78, the best way to look at it is to look at verse 5 first. And recognize verse 5 is kind of the central theme of this first part of the psalm. Recognize it as the principle that the rest of it is teasing out. Um, we'll see, uh, as one preacher calls it, verse 5, God's work. Look what it says in verse 5. It says, He established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should teach them to our children. That's kind of the big idea. That's the big idea of God's work among us. We'll look at the beginning of the, of the passage as uh, our work, and we'll look at the end of the passage as the goal of that work. But first, we'll talk about God's work. What you see in this verse is a certain pattern. A pattern of testimony and then response. Look what it says in verse 5. It says, he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel. And I think it's important that we get those in the right order. There is first a testimony, a statement about what God has done. And then there is a response to that statement, which is the law. And we see that even if we go back to Exodus chapter 20, even if we go back and look at the original deliverance of the Ten Commandments, it doesn't start with... You shall have no other gods before me. It doesn't start with, you shall not make any idols. It doesn't start with that. Do you know what the Ten Commandments start with? I am the Lord your God, who brought you out of Egypt, who delivered you from slavery. 
That's where it starts. It starts with a testimony of the great things God has done and then goes to the response, then goes to the call to action. And I believe that that's the pattern in which we need to teach our families, the pattern in which we need to deliver the gospel. We need to talk about what God has done for us first, right? In fact, in order for someone to be saved, you've got to start there, right? You've got to talk about how Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and was buried and was raised the third day according to the scriptures. We've got to talk about what God has done. And it's glorious to talk about what God has done, is it not? When we think about what he's done from Genesis through Revelation, we glory in the things that God has done. But no, no part of that revelation causes us to glory like the, like the gospel, to, to think to think about our own sinfulness, to think about our own dirtiness, our wretchedness, our rebellion, our transgression of the law, to think about the lies that we have told, the hate we have had in our hearts, to think about the dirtiness of our hearts, to think about the reality of judgment against sin, to think about God's holiness and his perfection and how he has promised and how he must judge sin. To think about a text that says the wages of sin is death. To really feel the weight of all of that and then to hear the rest of this story. That even though we are sinners and even though we do deserve judgment, God loves us. God demonstrates his own love toward us. And that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. Christ died for us. He didn't deserve to die. In fact, the whole logic of that text we mentioned a while ago, the wages of sin is death, would say that Christ should never die because he had never sinned, right? So how does this work? If the wages of sin is death, why did Christ die? Because he took my sin and your sin upon himself. And he died not as judgment against his sin, but against your sin and against my sin. And he really did die. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. The second part of that says, and he was buried. You know what that teaches us? He was really dead. He was really dead. He wasn't just hurting. He wasn't just sleeping. He was really dead, and they buried him. And then the glorious last part of all of this, right, is that he was raised the third day according to the scriptures. He's not dead. We don't serve a Lord who is in a grave. We serve a Lord who is living who is active, who is seated at the right hand of the Father, who is interceding for us, and who one day is coming back to get us. Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures and was buried and was raised the third day according to the scriptures. And we glory in all of those truths. Amen? And we want to speak those truths in our homes, in our church. We want to constantly be speaking the testimony of God's grace, his greatness, his faithfulness. But we don't want to stop there, do we? I don't just want to deliver this good news to you and then walk away, do I? No, that would be, that would be cruel of me, wouldn't it? To talk, about, to talk about Christ dying for your sins and rising again and then say, well, see you later. No, I want to tell you what to do about it. Don't, don't you want me to tell you what to do about it? Don't you want me to talk to you about the response to the testimony? Yeah, what is the response to this testimony? What is the proper response to this good news? Repent and believe, right? Turn away from your sin and trust in the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior. Submit to him as Lord of your life. That's the response. That's the response, and that's the pattern that we need to talk to our children about. That's the pattern that we need to display in this church. We need to talk about the testimony and then talk about the response. Look at the expectation in verse 5. He says, he established a testimony in Jacob, the great things God has done. And he appointed a law in Israel, that's the response we're talking about, which he commanded our fathers 
that they should teach them to their children. That they should teach them to their children. We've got to be about that expectation. We've got to be concerned that we would not just receive this message, not just respond for ourselves, but that we would be passing it on to others, especially to our children. That's the expectation that God has, that you would hear the testimony and that you would respond and that you would pass it on. Too many of us, too many of us have grabbed the baton and never handed it off to someone else, never spread the message to someone else. So verse five is the big idea. If we go back to verses one to four, we will see what Asaph, the writer of this, of this psalm, is doing about it. We're going to see him be obedient to the call of God to pass this on. And he's going to pass it on not just to his children, but to everyone who will listen. Look what he says in verses one to four. He says, listen, O my people, to my instruction. Incline your ears to the words of my mouth. What's that mean? It means, hey, listen up. Listen up, I've got something important to share with you. I've got something life-changing to share with you. He says, I'll open my mouth in a parable. I will utter dark sayings of old, which we have heard and known. We have heard and known. And there are many of us in this room who have heard and known. Who have heard and known. And our fathers have told us. We will not conceal them from their children, but tell to the generation to come the praises of the Lord and the strength and his strength and his wonders and the works that he has done. Basically, what we see here is Asaph, the author of the psalm, being obedient to God's command. He's telling not just his children, but all who will listen. I want you to notice the emphasis in his message on the strength of the Lord and the wondrous works that he has done. This is what we've got to be teaching our children about. The greatness of God, the glory of God, the grace of God. Took my kids on a hike yesterday morning. We went to Rim Rock. And, and walked around a little bit, and, and when we were getting back to the truck, um, Lily was particularly tired, and I said, did you have fun? Did you have fun, Lil? She said, no. Just a bunch of rocks and trees and water. I said, Lily, who made those rocks? She said, God made those rocks. Lily, who made those trees? God made those trees. Who made that water? God made that water. I said, so? So what did we see today? We didn't just see rocks and trees and water. We saw God. His power and his greatness and his goodness. We learned a lot about him today. And it's great. He is great. And not only does he have power to create all these things, he loves us and came for us and sent Jesus to die for us. We've got to seize those moments to teach our children about the greatness of God about his strength and his wondrous works that he has done. But we can't just talk about that. We can't just tell them that God made all these things and he's done all these great things. We've got to also call them to obedience to him. We've got to also talk about the commandments of God. We've got to also talk about the proper response to the revelation of the Lord, right? Because what I ultimately want at the end of the day is not just for my children to have a knowledge of God. Not just for my children to have an understanding of the things of God. I want them to know God. I want them to trust him. I want them to follow him. I want them to obey him, right? And so we don't just tell them. We don't just tell them. We invite them. We invite them to trust Jesus as Savior and Lord. We invite them to follow him with their lives. So 
In verse 5, we see God's act. We see the pattern. In verse 4, we see Asaph's act. We see him communicating to people what he needs to communicate. And then maybe the most instructive part is verses 6 to 8, which talk about the purpose of all this, God's aim. Why? Why did Asaph write the psalm this way? And what is our goal when we educate our children? And what is the goal of passing the baton? This is what he says. For he established a testimony in Jacob and appointed a law in Israel, which he commanded our fathers that they should teach them to their children, that even that the generation to come might know, even the children yet to be born, that they may arise and tell them to their children, that they should put their confidence in God and not forget the works of God, but keep his commandments, should not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that did not prepare its heart and whose spirit was not faithful to God. Three Three steps in this process, three steps in this process of teaching our children and why we should teach our children and what we're hoping for when we teach our children. Number one, we want them to have a knowledge of God. That's where it's got to start. They can't have a relationship with God. If that's ultimately the end game we're getting to, they can't have a relationship with a God they do not know. We want them first to know God. We want them to know about God. And I think Bible drill is one great way to do this. When I first started in ministry and was made aware of Bible drill, I, I, was, I was skeptical and thought it wasn't a good idea. I thought, man, there, there are these little children who have no ability to understand the things of Scripture, no ability uh, to reason, uh, no ability to have a real relationship with the Lord. Why then are we trying to teach them simply to parrot these truths, simply to repeat because of, because of repetition, because of uh, training these things that they do not understand? I thought, that's, that's not good. We want them to really understand these things, not just to be able to repeat these things. But then I came to realize, no, it's good. It's good that it gets in there because then the day will come when they can understand these things and they can know what they're talking about so they're not just little parrots they're not just little parrots who stand up here and say the things that they've heard a thousand times they they're little plants they're little gardens with all of these seeds all of these seeds being sown in them that are growing up so that when they can understand when they can know when they can follow it's there the truth is there so one of the reasons, the first step in, in handing this baton off to the next generation is that they would know God. They would know about God. But we don't want to stop there. We also want them to put their hope in God. Look what he says in verse 7, that they should put their confidence in God and not forget the works of God. We want them to know God. We want them to trust God. We want them to put their hope in God. One scholar said it this way, knowledge should lead to hope. What goes into the head should make should make a new heart. Oh, that's what we want, right? Children's Sunday school teachers, how, how, many, how many people in this room teach in children's small group Bible study? Raise your hand. You need to pray for these folks. The rest of us, we need to pray for these folks. Because we want, what we want to see is them teaching the, the heads of these children so that what goes into the head makes a new heart. Makes a new heart. We want to see children with new hearts. We want to see adults with new hearts, right? So number one, number one, we want them to have a knowledge of God. Number two, we want them to uh, put their hope in God. And number three, we want them to be obedient. Look what it says in verse eight. At the end of verse seven, it says, but keep his commandments and not be like their fathers, a stubborn and rebellious generation, a generation that did not prepare its heart and whose spirit was not faithful to God. So this is why we're trying to pass the baton. We want them to know God. 
We want them to hope in God, and we want them to be obedient to God. That's the end game. That's the end game of Bible drill. That's the end game of Sunday school. That's the end game of our family lives so that our children would know the Lord. Amen? Okay, so let's talk about some very practical things we can do. Back to I am a church member. How can I lead my family? How can I lead my children? How can I lead my wife? How can I lead my family to be good members of this church? Well, the first, the first step is to worship together as a family. The first application today is to worship together as a family. We need to worship together as a family in the church. We need to be together regularly worshiping in the church. Can't stress this enough. Can't stress this enough in our culture today when there are a hundred good things that would pull a family away from a church every Sunday. And so many families sacrificing, sacrificing what is the most important thing for some sport, some activity some recreation so many families not gathering not worshiping together on a regular basis I'm trying to hold back from a pretty serious rant here I did a study not too long ago NCAA did a study about the likelihood of a high school athlete becoming a college athlete, a college athlete becoming a professional athlete. And when you boil those numbers down and apply them specifically to Harrisburg, Harrisburg, Illinois should produce one professional baseball player every 60 years. Every 60 years, one. And, and baseball is the easiest sport to become a professional at. One professional baseball player after every 60 years. Guess what? We've already met our quota. We've already met our quota. No, no more professional baseball players from Harrisburg. I'm not trying to burst anyone's dreams here. It's just reality. Soccer? Soccer is crazy. Harrisburg, Illinois should produce one professional soccer player every 600 years. You know what that means? Never. That's, that's what it means. That's what it means. And yet I see families devoting time, energy, resources, putting baseball or soccer or drama or theater or music or vacation, whatever. You, you know what I'm talking about, right? Putting that as the highest priority. Leaving church, worship of the Lord, service in his kingdom. We'll do that when there's time. When we're not so busy with all this other stuff. I think this is especially prudent today. Today in this room, it's especially prudent. So worship together. It's vitally important. Worship together in the church. But don't just worship together in the church as a family. Worship together in the home. Read together, sing together, pray together. Do some kind of study that is age appropriate. I'm struggling with this at my house right now because we've got every age. How do I sit my five children down, two of whom cannot read? one of whom reasons like an adult and, and talk together about the scriptures. Well, the resource that we use is the Jesus Storybook Bible. It's pretty helpful, pretty accurate, speaks to the youngest. Sophie can engage it on her level. 
a really good thing. I was talking to one of my friends from Mississippi the other day, and he's got, he's got older children, two boys, preteen boys. He said, what, what resource should I be using to lead my boys? And I was able to give him some heavier stuff and say, your boys can have a conversation. They can reason with you. They can engage these great truths. Here are the books that I would use if my kids were all that age. Read and sing and pray together. Use some age-appropriate resources. What will it teach the next generation if we are regularly worshiping together as a family? What will it teach them if we regularly worship in the church and in the home together? Well, it'll teach them the great things about God, right? It'll teach them much about the Lord, about his greatness and his goodness and his grace. It will also teach them about priorities. I fear, I fear when these children who have been taught by example that church is unimportant, that church is for the leftover time in their lives, fear for what happens to them when they have children and when those children have children suddenly no one cares about church because they've never been taught to care about church and we see that if you think i'm being think i'm being extreme about this crazy about this we see this in the old testament one generation drops the ball the next generation drops the ball the next generation drops the ball and all of a sudden they can't find the law at all remember when that happened Josiah comes along and he's doing a building project and somebody brings this book. Hey, what's this book? What's this book about? And they open it up and they read it and they say, man, this is a pretty incredible book. What is it? No one even knew what it was. We're headed for that. We're headed for that. Just a few generations from now. What's that? Hey, what's that big building in the middle of Harrisburg? It's really old. It's got a, got a tall roof, multicolored windows. Dad, what is that building? I don't know. scared for those kind of things. I want us to be obedient to the scriptures, to be passing this on to the next generation, to be teaching them good priorities and not bad priorities. You know, when I read through the Old Testament, there's constantly this question that comes up. There's constantly this, this theme that comes up. When your children ask you what this means, tell them, right? They pile up some rocks someplace as they're traveling along, and they would say, when your children ask you what these rocks are about, you tell them what God did in this place. When they would eat the Passover, when they would eat the Passover, part of the purpose was when your children ask you, hey, what's this bread about? What's this lamb about? What's going on here? It was so that they could tell them. And I believe our children are constantly asking those things, right? They're constantly asking those questions. What is this? What is this? And we got to be telling them the right thing. What is that? What is that big room that we get together and sing those songs? What are we telling them? Are we telling them that's a central part of our lives? That's our extended family of faith. Those are the people we're going to spend eternity with. That's a chance to come in contact with the God who has not only created us, but has redeemed us and sustained us. Or are we telling them, that's what we do when we don't have something better going on. Those are the people we get together with as long as we agree about everything. What are we teaching our children? So the next question is, what about single people? or a couple with no kids, or grown kids? How can they help in this worship together as a family? Well, they can actually help. They can be a resource. They can be an encouragement. They can pray. They can volunteer to lead in the church. I love that we have so many single people. I love that we have so many folks with grandkids working in the children's ministry. They don't, they don't have children under their roof right now, so they help with our children. Man, I'm so thankful for those folks. So thankful for all the folks that help with our children. 
Number one, worship together as a family. Number two, pray together as a family for the church and its leaders. I won't talk about this a ton today because we talked about it last week. It was about a personal commitment last week. This is a push for a corporate commitment, agreement to pray together as a family. What should you pray for about the church and its leadership? Pray for spiritual protection. Pray for protection from moral failure. My pastor in Mississippi, when I first moved there, would constantly pray, God, keep me clean. Keep me clean. Keep me clean. It's so important. Pray for the preaching of the word. Pray for the families that are represented. Pray for encouragement and physical strength and courage and, and pray when they are discouraged. Pray for wisdom and leadership. I'll tell you one way you can pray for me this week. Totally pumped about this week. I'm going to get away uh, to Louisville Tuesday, Wednesday, and Thursday. Go to a conference where every single one of my favorite preachers that are still alive are going to be in the same room. Oh, it's going to be so good. It only happens every other year, and it is a feast of epic proportions. And it's happening this week. So you pray that I'll have ears to hear, a heart that is open. It's one way you can pray for me this week. Pray together as a family for the church and its leaders. What will this teach the next generation? We'll teach the next generation that God is ultimately the provider. That we don't simply look to our jobs. We don't simply look to our bank account. We don't simply look to our calendar. We look to the Lord because he's the provider. What will this teach the next generation? It will teach the next generation that we care about the church and its leaders. If you sit down together with your family and pray for your pastors, pray for your church, it will teach them that it's important. It will teach them that you care. It will also teach them that life in the church isn't always easy. It isn't always pretty. Sometimes you're going to have to sit down with your children and pray about a struggle in the church, a problem in the church. It will teach them the reality of church life and prepare them for the future. What about single people or a couple with no kids or grown kids? Wednesday night is a great time for all of us to get together and pray together. Wednesday night is so valuable. And so many of us miss out on it. It's such a good time to come together in the midst of the busyness and pray together and share a little bit of life together. Joe is going to be in the pulpit Wednesday night, and he's going to talk about families a lot, kind of along the same theme that I'm talking about today. Be here. Be here for that. Be a part of it. What about single people and couples with no kids? Partner. Partner with a family. Partner with a family. If you're a single person, man, get with a family. We've got some families with a ton of kids here at First Baptist. Did you know that? Like a lot of kids. If you're a single person, go up to one of those families and say, hey, I want to be praying for you. I want to I hook up with you and, and be praying for you. I want to know what's going on in your life. Tell me how I can pray for your kids. Tell me how I can help in all of this. And on Wednesday night, go sit with them and pray with them. Man, that could be a cool thing. Could have a lot broader application as well. So worship together as a family, pray together as a family for the church and its leadership, and serve together as a family. Work side by side. I think one of the coolest things at First Baptist is Rachel Lands and Keith and Marie. When, when Keith and Marie have usher duty, guess where Rachel is? She's right there with them. Don't you love that? And, and I know they're not the only one, but they're the ones that stand out to me. To come in the door and see little Rachel standing there with her mom and dad, handing out bulletins, saying hello to folks. This is a cool thing. So if you've got usher duty, bring your kids. It'll bring a smile to everyone's. Most of your kids will bring a smile to everyone's face. <laughs> right? Work together side by side. Work together side by side. Ushering, child care, kids worship. I know several families that, that volunteer in kids worship. And when it's their turn to teach, they bring their older children and let them be a part of it. It's such a good thing. 
Every once in a while we have a father-son work day, which turns into a father-children work day. It doesn't have to just be sons. Get involved in that and serve alongside each other. I think one of the coolest things, too, would be to take a mission trip. I can't wait till all of my kids are old enough to do this and, and we say, forget family vacation, forget the beach, forget Disney World, forget those things. We are going to the nations with the gospel this summer, kids. Man, that would be awesome, wouldn't it? I'm telling you, you would build more memories, greater memories on the mission field with your family than you possibly could at Disney World. I like Disney World, but it doesn't compare, right? Serve together with your family. What will this teach the next generation? This will teach them that there is joy in serving. It will also teach them that some things are temporary and some things are eternal, and we must learn to live for the eternal. It will teach them that those memories at Disney World do not compare to the memories in Africa or New Orleans Central Asia will teach them what's most important. So, worship together, pray together, serve together. And here's the last application for all of us. Love the church. Love the church together as a family. This is a family right here. We are a family, right? We are a family. Do you always like your family? Your family at your house, do you always like them? I, I really didn't like Lily a whole lot yesterday when we were walking up that hill and had fun today no i didn't like her in that moment but i love her i love her and i don't like some of you guys sometimes and you don't like me sometimes but i love you and i hope that you love me i hope that we can get beyond liking the church. I'm at First Baptist because I like it. I'm part of this body because I like it. I'm part of this body because I love it. I love it. And it's an unconditional love, right? We need to love each other always, no matter what. And this is hard. And I am not advocating here a lack of discipline. I'm not advocating an unconditional love that just ignores rebellion. Love, in its purest form, includes discipline, right? So we don't just say, oh, we love each other, so we let each other be crazy. That's not the case. We love each other, and we rebuke each other on occasion. And we encourage each other on occasion. But we're always loving. We always love. Just like when I have to discipline one of my children, it is not a moment where I suspend my love for them. It is my love in action. And it's for their good. So let's love the church. In fact, I'll give you one little, one little thing you can do along these lines. I changed my profile picture on Facebook and Twitter last night to this little logo that says, I heart my church. Why'd you do that? You can rub it off of mine and put it on yours. That'd be a cool thing if every member at First Baptist on social networking said, I love my church, I love my church. I do. I love this place. I love you. I don't like you always, <laughs> but I love you. I love you. So here's the pledge this week that I'll invite you to sign. I am a church member. I will lead my family to be good members of this church as well. We will pray together for our church. We will worship together in our church. We will serve together in our church. And we will ask Christ to help us fall deeper in love with this church because he gave his life for her. So in a minute, in response time, I'm going to invite you to come and sign the pledge. Listen up, dads. You sign it big. Don't be hiding it in a corner with your family. If you're going to make this commitment, you sign it big. Fill it up. And you lead the way, dads. This is primarily our responsibility. Let's pray together. Stand with me. God, thank you for this time. Thank you for gathering us. Thank you for making us a family. 
Help us to lead our families, bring our families together in worship, in prayer, and in service. Teach us what it looks like to love the church, not just like the church, but love the church. Thank you for your supreme love for the church, sacrificial love for the church that you gave your son for the church. Help us, help us respond. God, I pray for folks who are here today who haven't had someone teaching them the gospel, haven't had someone demonstrating the gospel to them, who've heard the gospel today about sinfulness and judgment, about Christ's great sacrifice on their behalf and about the proper response to that and repentance and faith. God, I pray today that even if they've never heard it before, even if they've never seen it before, I pray today that you'll work in their hearts and change their lives by your grace, for your glory. God, help us as we respond in Christ's name.